just so proud of a man. I'm Tommy Sounds. This is Year Zero. Today, I have the great pleasure of chatting with Mr. Keith Knight. Mr. Keith Knight joined me to discuss his introduction into anarcho-capitalism, his ability to play devil's advocate, and utilizing his principles in modern times. So I think you'll really enjoy this conversation with Keith Knight. But first, make sure you rate and review five stars are the only amount of stars that are appropriate. And don't forget about Ryan Bunting for all your graphic design needs. If you have graphic design needs coming up, get in touch with Ryan Bunting at ryanbunting.com. He had designed my logo and Pete's logo for Free Man Beyond the Wall. So, Ryan Bunting at ryanbunting.com for your graphic design needs. And as always, thank you, Mr. Tom Burton, for the music. Enjoy the show. All right. Mr. Keith Knight joins me. How are you doing, man? Fine, Tommy. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm stoked. Uh, I, I've had quite a few uh, listeners ask that I have you on. They, they were excited to hear our conversation. And uh, I'm excited to have you on here because I'm, I have yet to hear your story. And I was told that you have one of the most inspiring stories in the libertarian movement. And uh, so I'm really, really excited to, to hear about your checkered past and how all the lessons you learned led you to the life of liberty. Yeah. You know, I have so many ways that I was brought dragging uh, to, to, to the final uh, idea of voluntarism. I think the main thing that did it for me was going to my grandparents' house in Northern Arizona, a place called Sedona, which of course is gorgeous to walk around, but at uh, the time I was about uh, 12 years old. So it was hard for me to really appreciate it. So we uh, stayed inside mostly and they uh, were uh, progressives, very, very excited about Barack Obama. So this was 2006, 2007. And I really saw the state as a mechanism for society achieving an end they otherwise couldn't do individually. Now, of course, uh, you, you can see today uh, that also applies to supermarkets and Best Buys and us having this conversation. We're not doing this uh, on our Robinson Crusoe Island. We, of course, are cooperating, but that just goes to show you how uh, you can think that something like cooperation can't exist unless there is a, a group of people ruling over everyone else. So I uh, thought it was uh, very cool, you know, especially that uh, he was black. It was uh, doing something that's not only right, but it was simultaneously symbolizing uh, progress in the right direction. And then I just started hate watching Glenn Beck because I had always heard that, um, oh, there's this guy. He's just pure evil. He's just a racist and all he does is cry. It's unbelievable. So I went to watch some of Glenn Beck's 
uh, material. And gosh, it's just incredible how uh, he was misconstrued. Uh, he had uh, so many sound arguments compared to what I was hearing from Keith Olbermann, Lawrence O'Donnell, uh, Ed Schultz was there at the time, Rachel Maddow. So I was totally introduced that I, I was really humbled more than anything else that I thought there, the only reason you could think that conservatism is legitimate is if you are a stupid hick who doesn't have a television or access to any books or a library, or if you're just paid off by the big corporations. I mean, there's no way. Uh, I've thought about it for five seconds. Nothing comes to mind. Therefore, no one has any uh, ideas. Well, uh, just get just finding out that there was another side was so humbling. And I said, well, what else have I missed out on? While watching Glenn Beck, I was uh, introduced to the idea that the Affordable Care Act, while it had some costs and some benefits, was inherently unjust because what it would do is it would have what is called the individual mandate. Now, I don't know what the status is of how it was repealed and what it takes to qualify for it to be repealed, whatever. That finally introduced to me a principled approach to analyzing whether a policy was morally justified or unjustified. And Beck says, the reason I oppose this is because it forces people to purchase something they otherwise wouldn't do so voluntarily. Maybe they should, maybe they shouldn't. People should have that choice. So uh, from that point on, I opposed the Affordable Care Act and started questioning uh, the Obama presidency. And it took me uh, five years to take that principle of you shouldn't be uh, forced to do something so long as you're acting peacefully. Uh, it took me about five years to ex uh, expand that logic and apply it to Medicare, Medicaid, the welfare state, the warfare state. It's sad that it took five years. It should have taken one uh, one afternoon and a uh, bottle of Jack uh, to uh, really open up my mind. Unfortunately, uh, took a lot longer. So uh, that's what I do now. I try to help people shrink the amount of time it takes to get from thinking critically to uh, ending up uh, with the idea that uh, people own themselves with regards to others. They have a better claim to their body, thus a better claim to their time, and don't owe anyone anything, therefore all interactions should be voluntary between consenting adults. That is uh, how I got here and uh, what I focus on now mainly. I think uh, because of the amount of time it took you and, and the path you took, though, it's actually been beneficial for your brand because you're known as one of the, the very best at arguing devil's advocate positions. You, you have this ability to see both sides of the argument and, and take on the steel man argument and not straw man your, uh, your ideological opponent, which I, I really find admirable in you. Uh, it, do you find that, do you ever find it hard to do that or is that just come natural to you? You know, the more you read about the opposition, the more you can sort of understand where they're coming from, how they get to their ideas, and uh, and ways to sort of uh, portray them that are beneficial or that they would uh, accept as uh, actually representing uh, the concepts that they're trying to uh, pr promote. So yeah, um, it, it, it takes a lot of reading and a lot of researching and a lot of listening and a lot of patience because it's not, well, if you dedicate an hour to it, well, then you're one hour smarter. 
very often it's counterproductive and you can read nonsense for one hour, but you never know what is going to, uh, whether it's going to be productive before, you know, you start, you buy a book, take the time for it to get there, start reading it. And every minute you spend doing that, you're not doing something else, whether it's spending time with friends, family, or, you know, rereading Bob Murphy's summary of human action, just things that you know are brilliant. It's a lot of risk in, say, reading Paul Krugman's book, The Conscience of a Liberal. It's extremely frustrating. And and it's, uh, it, it's also tough because sometimes people will say, well, have you even read uh, our material? And I said, yeah, I took the money and time to read these. And they go, well, 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 that's just a few. And those people don't even count. So in that sense, it can get discouraging. But the more open-minded you are and the more you listen to people and really try to uh, hone in on what it is they're trying to uh, communicate, then you can sort of get a better idea, which increases the likelihood you'll be able to steel man their, uh, their position. And very often you'll be able to uh, articulate it better than, than they will just because you've done a little more reading, a little more research, and the average person is not uh, exactly holding their position because they arrived at it logically or through reason or empirical studies. It's mostly because they see it as what could be commonly referred to as loyalty signaling, as the economist Robin Hansen puts it in The Elephant in the Brain. Uh, there's actually a hidden motive, so people will say, yeah, I want to do this for the greater good, but they don't take that much time to read or listen to the opposition or make sure they're uh, heavily informed on something before going to vote. So really it's about finding an identity, finding meaning and finding purpose. And that's why people uh, believe in, you know, some issues and oppose other ones. So when you find out that they haven't exactly arrived at their opinions rationally, well, it's not exactly surprising. Yeah, that, that's, that's for sure. Um, one of the I guess one of the reasons, and I just don't have the patience that you do to do things like that. I'm just like, oh, y'all, because it feels like to me it, that they're not taking into consideration trade-offs. And uh, this little monkey is going to be jacking with me the whole time I'm talking. I promise you, he's not going <laughs> to leave me alone. <laughs> but it feels to me like they just don't understand the 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 idea of trade-offs. And so just today uh, you know you wake up you get on twitter and you see everybody's going uh bananas over uh, um the the vaccination passports you know and i i i tend to believe that at least some of the people that are pushing for things like vaccine passports are coming from a good point of view i i, I mean i they're not i don't consider them all evil I think some of them have the best, you know, intentions at heart, but the problem is they don't see the negative, the negatives to what, what they're doing. How do you, how do you talk to those people? Because I find it very difficult to talk to those people. You definitely have to go into the conversation knowing that you are probably not talking to an evil person. You're talking to someone who has been tricked. However, there are evil people out there. There are conspirators in the world, murderers, rapists, and then liars and thieves, and the most successful of them go into gangs or mafias, and the most successful get into positions called, you know, politics, where uh, their crimes are actually legitimized, not only by their peers, but by the masses at large, who they're extorting to fund their conspiring. So it's extremely difficult. Um 
to, uh, to, to really sympathize and know that you're talking to someone who has more or less been uh, brought up in the religion of statism, and they have a certain sect of this religion, progressivism, minarchism, uh, conservatism, labor, uh, party, any sort of domination of uh, this religion that mainly believes some people have the right to rule others. And it's completely arbitrary, can't be independently justified. Therefore, it's a uh, religion. Now, as far as talking to them in a productive way, what I have found most productive is taking their own principles and applying them consistently. So if they say, I support my body, my choice, I would ask them why. Why do you support my body, my choice, instead of people should be able to do that which they can defend as being beneficial to the group at large? Because everything they say about, you know, your economic life and how it should be regulated and we need regulation because of the greater good and some people will take advantage of others. They don't use that when it comes to the abortion debate. It's my body, my choice, my life, my decisions. I get to call the shots. So all you have to do is take that and apply it consistently and say, well, what if they make a bad decision? Shouldn't, uh, you know, some people be able to just roll over a woman trying to make a decision with her life? Or shouldn't some people, you know, rule over minorities in society because those minorities could be ignorant? Well, just because someone is ignorant or might suffer bad things doesn't justify ruling over them, whether it's uh, you doing it because you're smarter or because you have the majority on your side or because there's currently a system called government, which you could occupy and bestow rules upon the many through something called the legislative process. So under uh, any real principle that people will have, say they like being free to read the books that they do, free to hang out with the people that they want. If you take that and apply it consistently, you'll see that uh, people really do believe in freedom, humanity, peace, voluntary exchange. That's why they can say things like, my body, my choice, separation of church and state, but they're not able to apply it consistently. And the reason is, is because they've been, they've been tricked. There, there's no justification for some people having rights that no other organization has. That's, I've just heard so many arguments over the last 10 years that I've really been researching this, and I, I just don't think that, uh, that, that it's out there. So knowing that, you already know you're talking to someone who was engaged in irrational behavior. It's just a matter of how can you communicate it to them. Or sometimes you can uh, have, have your own go-tos. So if there are leftists who believes in equality, I do often ask them, is it equal for uh, 535 people called the Congress group to have the right to rule over or make laws or force uh, people to fund uh, 330 million people to do things against their will. Does that sound equal to you? Or if a conservative says that they believe in freedom, well, we need freedom because we need to be protected with security and that security comes from the state. I'd say, well, does any security organization have the right to do this or just this one? Well, now you flipped it on them. Now they're the one making the claim that they have to defend because there's a blatant contradiction. Because really, if that were just, then anyone at any time would have the right to issue taxes so long as you were providing some security in, uh, in exchange. No company would ever go out of business. They would just issue taxes for the greater good so they could employ people and they could 
sell products and services that make us all better, that we all indirectly benefit from. None of those are a justification for forcing people to fund something against their will. So it's a mix between having Socratic questions that you can ask them that plant the seed of intellect that they will later sort of sit and ponder and taking their own principles and applying it consistently. Yeah. When I started this podcast, uh, it was in 2018, it was really obvious that there was a creeping authoritarianism uh, uh, upon us. And it, it was, it felt like it was, you know, knocking at the door at the time. And I have five kids and now I have a granddaughter and so my, I was trying to find something I could do. I could contribute to hopefully bring more freedom to my kids and my, my grandchildren. And so that was the, the thought process in starting this podcast. And last year when, when COVID hit, I mean, the authoritarianism stopped knocking at the door and just kicked the door in and just bum rushed us. It, and I was just, I was overwhelmed. I was, I was going through, I was already going through, like I was already having enough issues because I had lost the dog I had before the one that was harassing me a while ago. And um, so that was, that was really upsetting. And, um, and then, then this happened and I was just, I was overwhelmed. I was like, I don't know if I can function and I can, talk about this or think about this or look at this. And there was a lot of time last year where I, where I was just angry and so much so that so much of our society was just quietly participating and just accepting the lockdowns and, and all this, this just totalitarianism that we were watching right before our eyes and it wasn't coming from the federal level you know trump for all the bad that, that trump was and all the horrible things that he did the one thing he didn't do is he did not get authoritarian when he, they were asking him to get authoritarian after accusing him of being a dictator for three years, they start begging him to be authoritarian. And it was like, oh man, if this guy had any of those aspirations, you know, going into this, that would have been the perfect time for him to flex his muscle and exercise, you know, those dictatorial aspirations. But we saw it from governors all around the country. And, and now with, with Biden in the, in office, we're seeing this push for gun control, uh, it feels it feels different than any other push I've ever seen for gun control. And then we're also seeing, like I said, the vaccines, the vaccine passports. What do you how do you suspect this is going to all play out? Because it's it's almost like this this complete totalitarianism is coming at us from all sides. And it is our neighbors that we're having to fight, not the federal government. Yeah, that is uh, definitely a way that they can um, uh, distribute the costs of enforcement by having uh, the, the average uh, person that uh, you know be a spy, uh, an openly wedding spy, uh, saying that they're so proud to uh, uh, know who was a good person and who was a bad person, according to uh, whatever the state has deemed science or truth or morality that day. And um, as far as you know, where is this going to go? They keep surprising me. 
with, you know, uh, with false flags, with uh, exaggerations, with fabrications. I, I mean, I, I really have no clue. But all, all you need to know is that there is an inherent uh, tendency for uh, psychopaths who wish to control people or people who just find value in controlling others and don't have a moral compass that, uh, that, that they look towards, that they're always going to try to increase the amount of everyday control they have over the lives of who they see more or less as their cattle in the same way that a farmer would. So it doesn't make sense for the farmer to kill every cow that exists because, well, then he wouldn't be able to make as much money as if he were to really treat them as, you know, something that he owned that he could take care of. And then at certain points, kill some, save more, breed more, because then it's really a profitable system. So it's not uh, everything's going to be bad immediately. It has to be gradual in order for it to be profitable and for people to be tricked into it, much like the uh, frog that you uh, can't throw into boiling water, but you could slowly heat up. I really have no clue about the uh, about the specifics. I mean, it, it'll be, you know, some form of external lie or exaggeration that even if it was true, wouldn't justify the existence of a state. So whether it's acid rain, the ozone layer, Saddam Hussein, Al-Qaeda, Timothy McVeigh, global warming, COVID, inequality, racism, sexism, immigrants, China, Russia. These are all uh, maybe things that could or could not exist. They're they're vast majority of the time. They're, they're just uh, fabrications. But I think it's important to communicate that even if these are true, I mean, the homicide is a real thing. But the existence of bad things pollution, murder, rape, kidnapping, in no way justifies one group of people, let's just say the Catholic Church, having the right to rule over everyone else. If you want to solve a real problem, pollution, murder, surely you would want competing agencies and you would want to make sure you had the ability to opt out of funding ones that are counterproductive. So even if these are real problems, which they hardly if ever are, even if I grant all of that, a state is still unjustified. And hopefully, uh, once uh, there is no state, people will have mutual aid organizations they could find meaning in, and then they can stop finding meaning in global warming and uh, all this other nonsense that the gender wage gap is back in the news, if if you haven't uh, seen it. It's so funny. I was reading Walter Block's book, uh, Defending the Undefendable, and it was published, I think, in 73, sometime in the 70s. And he actually refutes the gender wage gap myth where it's not uh, accurate because it doesn't take men and women working the same job with the same experience. It's men and women who have different jobs, work different hours, have different skills and everything else. So it's just like saying uh, whites get paid less than Asians. Therefore, we live in uh, Asian supremacy. It's, It's absolute nonsense. But that is an example of how they can trick so many people for so long on such a large scale. And they almost do, and they clearly do it intentionally. But the average person, of course, just being tricked doesn't really know. But I mean, for Obama to get up there and just uh, and just renew this, I remember that was just so disappointing as, you know, someone who was so happy that Obama got into office because there, there's just no excuse uh, to uh, still believe in something so easily refutable. Just logically, you could think that, well, really? Uh, I'm opposed to all these business owners who are so, who all they care about is profit. 
yet they spend like 30% more just to employ men because they just hate women or don't want to give them more. And no, none of their competitors are sweeping up these women to try to lower their employment costs, the highest, uh, one of the highest costs a business can have. I'm sorry to go on that rant there about the gender wage gap. The reason it's important is because it's so easily refutable and they've been using it for 50 years and it still tricks the masses. That's why that is a perfect example of how many people can be tricked by something because they haven't put thought into it. I think I forget what team she, I think it's the USA women's soccer um, um, coach, not the coach, the, uh, the, the captain who was uh, speaking with Joe and Joe Biden. But yeah, that, that's a perfect example. Uh, they could have a blatant hoax and get people all worked up about something that is easily refutable. You don't have to climb to the top of, you know, Mount Everest to learn Mandarin and then read backwards this secret that's been hidden in the universe. You have to take five seconds and think, really? Uh, no, no competitors would just hire women and then get, uh, get a monopoly? Uh, of course. Yeah, so uh, th that is uh, one example of how they will constantly try and justify further control because they're creating an enemy or a victim. Why should we give this group of people so much power? Because there's that external group over there, the 1% whites, the terrorists, the immigrants, the uh, terrible pollution that exists in the world. So yeah, it's, it's the same thing. Just how they're, the amount of attention that the Proud Boys get uh, I mean, talk about a nothing burger. Gavin McGinnis and his friends starting a uh, a little club gets uh, gets all this negative attention as an, and is responsible for uh, for all this stuff, or how they totally exaggerate the uh, events of January sixth while sitting back and you know applauding the riots that lasted all last summer. So yeah, uh, th these are just selective enemies, and they um, they're able to control the mind of the populace through repetition. Uh, that is one word that uh, an intelligence officer that was on my show, Chase Hughes, uh, used to describe mind control. He said it's all about repetition. So every time they report on something, know that there is an agenda. And just think of it just as a priest would, trying to promote his religion, would selectively choose for you to hear some things and not others. These journalists are pushing progressivism mostly. Some are pushing conservatism but they're all part of the same religion called statism. Once we uh, get at the heart of that, then uh, we will have uh, defeated it. Yeah, well, and, and you need not apologize for bringing up the gender wage gap because I think that that illustrates perfectly the way that they recycle these stories. You know, yeah. the this, this story pops up, you know, in the 70s for four or five years so that they, they can push some agenda once they re reach that goal or get close to that goal then they kind of let it fade into the background everybody forgets about it 15 years later it pops up again hey we can use this one again and they just continue to recycle these the the conservatives are just as bad you know when the, when they're talking about immigration you know just the the a lot of the the false narratives around the immigration debate you know, it's just recycled demonization when they when they're trying to push a war on us. We know that every war up until this date we've been lied into. But the next one, that one's different. We got to fight Iran now, you know, or whatever it is. So, yeah, it, it's it's always the same thing. And I guess I didn't recognize or maybe it wasn't that obvious 
the power of of the media on as you said using mind control on the the populace until covid maybe i was just blind to it or or i didn't think it was as bad as it was i think is what I, what it was but then when you saw 80% of the country go oh okay the covid's going to kill everybody and you're looking at the numbers and the charts and the graphs and and these people are cheering you know people getting arrested for not wearing masks cheering people getting kicked off of planes and you're like hold on man <laughs> like hold on how do we get the, we got to get you refocused on the enemy of the government not your not your fellow man you know it's us versus the state not not us versus each other but they've done such a good job of this divide and conquer and controlling the masses and creating this this divide and you know I don't know if you would call it a civil war of any sort. Possibly you could, I guess, because it is ongoing. It seems like it's never stopping. Yeah, it's all run by information. But, man, just the way that that people cheer on their political enemies, I guess you would call them, it, it, to be arrested. It's like this is something out of a dystopian fiction. Yeah, yeah. And you can see how the repetition is used just when. You can see how um, uh, the graphs of cases going up, cases going down, deaths going up, deaths going down. Now, I don't know if those numbers are legitimate. Set that aside. You always hear about the increase. You never hear about the decrease. So what they're doing is repeating and repeating and repeating this bad thing. So you keep searching for the solution, which they just so happen to have the answer for. And you'll never guess it's more money and control for the state and their cronies in the pharmaceutical industries. It's never about freedom. I mean, e even the Michelle Obama approach of, <laughs> well, uh, there uh, tends to be uh, less healthy people who are getting this. So let's uh, just encourage people to be healthier. That at least could be excusable. Still wrong, still shouldn't be a state. She's still married to a mass murderer. I, I get that. But at least that would have made sense. And she didn't use this time to really uh, stand up. She made sure to mention the racism narrative that uh, that they think is uh, so prevalent when of course it's nothing but a massive distraction they never say you know it's really glad we need to uh, look at how far uh, racism has come since the 1700s 1800s 1960s and today we've really made a lot of progress we've made a lot of progress in poverty now uh, we're going to have uh, this expert come on and uh, report on why some countries are rich and some countries are poor. And then these guys on my panel are going to debate why some laws are good, some are bad, and we'll get to the foundation of morality. It's never anything like that. It's, there was a shooting, there was a shooting, there was a shooting. It's like, you never report on the government mass murder. So we know that there's tons and tons of civilian deaths in these wars. There's all these bombings, and you report on civilian murders. Uh, when, you know, a, a private citizen uh, engages in murder. And that's because it's all about repetition and mind control. It's, uh, it, it's really manipulative and it's unbelievable. Shakespeare wrote about this in a book called, gosh, I think it's called Othello, where the character Iago is intentionally driving a wedge between Othello and Desdemona using lies and all this stuff. And things like the gender wage gap or yellow cake, uranium being sold from Niger to Saddam Hussein, or the fact that 9-11 was a response, 
or that the war in Afghanistan was a response to 9-11 when it was actually planned a week before 9-11 on September 4th, 2001, in a document titled National Security Presidential Directive 9, which uh, we know because Donald Rumsfeld said it in his uh, 2004 testimony to Congress. So when they blatantly are able to change narratives and have fake stories and fake justifications for things, uh, sometimes pointing that out to people can really help, but usually they'll just buy into the next one, you know, just like you were saying earlier. Yeah, all those other ones were lies, but the Russians really did hack the 2016 election, and we got to start having tariffs and sanctions on Russia, and we got to start hating uh, the the Chinese now, and all this other nonsense. I mean, what? remember the North Korean war that was supposed to happen after they did whatever to Guam and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. It, it's it, it's incredible, and they still hold themselves up as well. Without us, there would be a lack of peace and a lack of stability. When really, governments are the main cause of a lack of peace and a lack of stability. Um, most wars are caused by governments, and wars are the biggest property damaging, mass murdering campaigns that uh, could could ever be organized. And governments are constantly provoking wars pulling the citizens along, not the other way around. If we needed government, it would be the dumb French and the dumb Germans go to fight each other. And then the governments did everything they could to hold them back for years, but then governments lost control. And then the population just went to war with each other, dumb primitive subjects who can't be trusted with freedom. That's not what happens. The opposite happens. The governments are conspiring and warring against each other uh, for ruling territory and trying to legitimize their own domination, trying to create enemies out of nothing. I mean, gosh, to think that Putin is an enemy or that that even she is an enemy, even though those guys are evil, they never focus on the most evil things. So, you know, Biden like openly said, you know, who am I to really, you know, uh, bring up to President Xi about his, you know, lack of democracy, what he's doing in Hong Kong, his treatment of the uh, Uyghur Muslims, Uh, They have a totally different culture. Well, he never says that when talking about the South in uh, old America. He didn't say, you know what? Yeah, there was slavery, but there was slavery since the beginning of time. Most people just go along with the time, and therefore we need to constantly uh, rethink our basic assumptions to make sure we're acting morally. He never says that. He says, bunch of stupid racists, and now the Proud Boys are an extension of that, and that's why we need more surveillance and the entire White House needs to be surrounded with a fence and armed guards. And by the way, having guns is dangerous, and that's why none of you should have them, only the state should have a monopoly. So, of course, it's just mind control. So it's not just about getting people to think that uh, government equals bad. It's about getting them to think critically, and then uh, voluntarism, anarchism, and capitalism, uh, free market capitalism, of course, all fall from that uh, immediately. Yeah, for sure. I... uh... I watch, you know, I, I watch how these these people just fawn over these politicians, and and you brought it up earlier. It's it's a religion. It's it's really hard to to hold my lunch <laughs> sometimes <laughs> because I'm just like, you, you, if you go up to, and here's where 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 it gets me is if you walk up to them. There's such cognitive dissonance. If you engage them in a conversation and you ask them like what they think of politicians, oh, they're all liars. They're all thieves. They're all crooks. Okay. So, so we've already, we've already set that aside. So um, why are you, 
why are you so celebratory over such and such? Well, he's not as bad as the last guy, you know? And it's like, yeah, no, he's, he's, he's going to be pretty much the same as the last guy, you know, there, I, I kind of, the more I watch it, the more I'm like, uh, they're getting their orders from somewhere and it isn't from us, man. Like <laughs> they're, they're following some sort of agenda that, that has nothing to do with the American people and with freedom. And, you know, turning, like you say, turning to volunteerism and understanding volunteerism. And even if somebody isn't ready to go to that, such an extreme step, just, just to remove your consent and your participation in the federal system and operate locally, even on the state level, on your, on your municipal level, I always have issues with that damn word. Uh, it, you can, you can actually make better changes and, and create a situation and elect some politicians there locally, possibly that would be willing to at least nullify federal laws in, that are going to, you know, negatively impact your your local community so even if you can't quite get them all the way to Ancapistan, we can at least try to pull them to a more decentralized place and that's that's really a big goal of mine is to show people well decentralization isn't going to be a bad thing look at you know the the federal marijuana laws versus states like California or Colorado. Look at the immigration laws versus states like California or these sanctuary cities. So I try to at least get to that decentralized place in, in their in their thinking. Yeah, I uh, certainly uh, would prefer 50 competitors to uh, one monopoly. So even though a ton of the governors were absolute tyrants, that, first of all, is good information to have. Second of all, we have uh, places like Texas and Florida. And you never know how people are going to operate had they not had any competition. If people, you know, instead of just being able to leave California and go to a neighboring state at much lower exit costs, well, if they had to leave the country, well, they would have been less likely to move altogether because that's more of a hassle. And maybe the federal government, if they were controlling everything, would have been even worse and uh, and more tyrannical. So it's uh, it's so difficult to know, but certainly it's just better to have more options. Even though, well, what if there's you know 50 pole pots instead of one? Well, it's much less likely 50 will simultaneously arrive at once than one at the federal level. Because the more power you have, it's not going to attract the Tommies and the Scots and the Pete's and the Sheldons of the world and the Patricks, it's going to attract the Kissingers, the Madeleine Albrights, Zbigniew Brzezinski, David Rockefeller, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, Joe Biden. The most evil people are going to be attracted to this, you know, big legitimate parasite that uh, that, that they'd like to uh, have control over. So certainly decentralization, I think, is uh, certainly a step in the right direction. Yeah, and, you know, I just, uh, I just retweeted an a article written by Mike Meharry from the 10th amendment center on, on nullification. And, you know, the whole point is people think that this is such like some fairy tale idea to nullify federal powers, but it's, it's been happening since the, the founding of the United States. And it's really some, uh, a power that the States have that they can use. I know Scott was speaking um, in front of the Texas state legislature this morning um, about the Defend the Guard Act and promoting that. And that's really, things like that are, are really steps, at least in the right direction. You know, we're not going to, they, they didn't take and, and took 
create this totalitarian state overnight. We're not going to knock it down overnight. You know, we're going to have to chip away and we're going to have to find ways that we can promote the message of liberty that attracts many different people from many different ideologies, many different walks of life and do it in such a way that it, it, it gets us all cooperating together, working as I've seen a lot of people pushing for the, the unit, unity coalition in the Libertarian Party and working together in such a way that we can create our own freedom cells in our communities and, and have our own gray markets and agorist like little, you know, segments of our community so that we can live for your lives together. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I have, uh, I had John Bush on my show talking about freedom cells. I've been checking out that, uh, th that website, all, uh, all great ideas. When you, uh, when you look at where the country is, is headed and do you have hope? Do you, do you, I feel like when I talk to my kids, um, I feel like they have a very, very freedom, like loving streak, a very libertarian streak within them. And I kind of think we're just stuck in this kind of weird place uh, with millennials that when we actually do see the, the 18, 19, 20 year olds really getting involved politically, that there could, they're, they're going to be sick of everything that took place for the last 30 years. And they're going to, they're going to be pushing for, I, I would almost say it's going to be more of a libertine vision in, in, in their eyes, at least from, talking to my kids and how their friends think and things like that. Do you see the same thing? Do you feel like there's hope for the future or do you think it's, it's time that we just kind of uh, abandon ship and try to carve our own path? Yeah, I, I uh, definitely think there is uh, that there is hope. I mean, it, compared to, I mean, 10, 15, 20, 50, a hundred, uh, 500 years ago. Yeah, definitely. There is a lot more hope simply because the average person has the ability to uh, speak uh, to more people than they otherwise would. Not because the average person is so brilliant and everything needs to be heard. It simply means that the best ideas have a better chance than they otherwise would have if only CBS, ABC, and NBC were deciding what everyone was hearing as they were, you know, maybe in the 60. So even they even choose the opposition, as of course they do today, but even back then. So you could say, well, yes, there was the government pushing for war, but then there was the anti-war movement. And a lot of journalists were sort of on the left and maybe sympathetic to it, even whether or not that is or it's not the case. Who at the time was saying uh, this mass murder campaign is the result of warring states and ruling classes who are fighting amongst each other using us as pawns. And so, yes, the U.S. government is engaging in illegitimate behavior, as is the Northern Vietnamese and the Northern Koreans and the Chinese and communism and everything else. But uh, it, so instead of just reporting on some people supported the anti-communist uh, activities that the U.S. was engaged in, other opposed them, who in that, you know, in all of those news hours was really making the case against communism in a way that explained the abolition of private property is what Marx defined communism as, 
any abolition of private property means some people have the right to forcibly stop others from engaging in voluntary, mutually beneficial exchanges, stopping their ability to pursue their own happiness, even though doing so wouldn't uh, aggress against anyone else, and stop them from contracting with other people unless they got either the permission of the state or the committee or society at large because someone thinks that some exploitation and evil surplus value is occurring. In a very short amount of time, they could have portrayed that message. And maybe it was, maybe it wasn't in you know one or two examples, but certainly you didn't have the large scale, uh, the actual uh, anti-communist um, argument being made. So when I hear things like, yeah, MKUltra was done by the CIA, but that was just um, a way of them trying to understand why soldiers were coming back communist and they were studying mind control. The reason none of those flimsy arguments uh, I think are uh, justifiable is because there's always an easier way, which is they could have gotten on TV, you know, the CIA and said, we here in the intelligence agency knows what goes on overseas. Let me tell you about what communism is and why it's immoral. They never do that. That's why you know it's always something ridiculous. So yeah, terrorism is bad, just as communism is, but the war on terror and the war on communism and the war on drugs, drugs are also very bad. Uh, th those things are always counterproductive and simply fake excuses that some people use to try and rule over everyone else. Just as the you know abusive spouse will say something like, well, without me, you'll, you're nothing, you have no uh, inherent uh, good traits um, and uh, you're going to suffer unless you have me at your side and I have all this power and influence over you. Well, government's just a really, really, really good abusive uh, spouse that you never agreed to marry ever. So uh, I, that analogy needs work, but the, the, the bottom line is still the same. They're constantly trying to create a framework to increase your insecurity so they could be seen as the you know hero of the day. No, I think you're you're onto something with the spouse thing. One of the, one of the things I had uh, I'd use that analogy for for the, argu uh, the argument for secession, right? So I was I always said if you're in a if you're in a really bad relationship, right? And you look at if you look at the state as the wife, the federal government as the husband, and the citizens as the children, right? And you stay together just to make your children happy. How long is it before your children's lives have been completely destroyed? You realize you're making them miserable. How long before you leave? You know, you should have left that abusive relationship a long time ago because you're really in, in the long run, you're hurting your children, you know, and that's, that's kind of the way I've used that analogy before in the past. But yeah, I, I see exactly where you're going. And I was actually having this conversation with a friend of mine earlier. We were talking about Texit which is a referendum brought before uh, the state, state legislature here in Texas. Um, to, it's similar to Brexit. And uh, he was saying, man, I just worry about, you know, these military bases, all the military equipment, you know, what, what if the federal government decided they wanted to shut off the ports right there in the Gulf of Mexico, they can just park an aircraft carrier there and it would shut everything down. I was like, yeah, man, I get, I get where you're coming from. I see your point. I see why you would worry about these types of things. But the fact of the matter is, if you know, if your sister is in an abusive relationship, you're not going to tell her to stay married because the guy might kill her if she leaves. You know what I'm saying? You're going to try to get her out of that relationship and do so in the safest way possible and take the appropriate steps for security as you, as it comes at, as it's needed. 
you know? And so that's kind of one of the things that, I, that I look at is as we start to, and I feel like with the internet and the technology, especially like Bitcoin blockchain technology, we're really seeing the opportunity to break away from the state as individuals create our own communities online and, and have our mutual aid societies, our communities, our freedom cells to where we can cooperate together and create freer lives for future generations. And I really think the technology that's being pushed right now is not only hopeful, but I think it's promising. Yeah, it's uh, certainly good that, uh, you know, a few decades ago, if you said anything, well, uh, anyone who was further than 10, 15 feet away from you couldn't hear it. But now people on the other side of the planet can, uh, can get a hold of it. And that just increases the likelihood that they'll come across the truth simply because they have more options. Now, there is a paradox of choice where people will say, look at all the options I could have. Therefore, I must be getting the truth because the truth would have stamped out these other options. I would know about it if that was true, is, is how people will, will, will sometimes say something. And that is, uh, th that is certainly one argument against it. But, I mean, it's better than, you know, the North Korean alternative where uh, there was a full, uh, full-scale regulation for the greater good, uh, something like that. And so while that might be the world's worst nightmare and anarcho-capitalism is the uh, ideal society, of course, uh, certainly where we are now, I uh, certainly think is an improvement to, I mean, there only being a few network stations and that that's certainly something to uh, to, to appreciate. Even when uh, it doesn't give us the immediate result we want, it's still cool to be able to use the technology to communicate with friends and family and have more potential trading partners you otherwise wouldn't have. So it's important to uh, you know really just uh, take a step back and appreciate uh, the volunteerism we're all uh, we're already capable of engaging in, while uh, still uh, having uh, the goal of a voluntary society in uh, in our uh, in our uh, destination. Yeah. And well, and, and, and then you have the, uh, the example of these decentralized companies that are, are popping up the decentralized social media companies like PocketNet and, um, you know, Odyssey and these things that are popping up and, and you listen to the left talk about, oh no, they're giving platforms to Alex Jones or all these people that we want deplatform. We want shut up. And we're like, and I'm looking at it going, yes, this is why I say government should be completely decentralized. Without the central authority, they can't shut us down. They can't tax us. They can't send our kids to war. You know, they, they can't do these things. You can't have, you can't have a, a reboot of, of the Waco siege and the disaster that, that followed the, during those 51 days. That's, those are examples of large centralization. You want to get away from that centralization. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, as I said earlier, all that power, I mean, that, that just attracts the most uh, the, the most evil people. Uh, Rothbard uh, once said, anyone who is against world government is pretty much an anarchist. So if countries have the right to secede from world government under the Pope's reign, well, wouldn't that be chaos and anarchy among the countries? Well, if countries can't secede, can't states, can't cities, can't 
neighborhoods, can't the individual succeed? Because the individual is the smallest unit. So you don't have to go down to, can their cells succeed from the body? (laughs) The individual being the smallest actor, having the ability to secede for the same reason that uh, the U.S. or Brazil would have the right to secede from the U.N. And of course, you can get all these, well, if uh, we don't have a federal government and there's just the 50 states, well, Mississippi could just have lynchings because we all know that that is you know, a very realistic scenario. Okay, well, for every negative thing you could say that could occur in your least favorite state, biggest generalization, is also likely to happen at the federal level. So every evil thing you could think of applies tenfold to the federal level because there is a higher concentration or more evil people are motivated to get hold of. So the idea that, well, I don't uh, trust people, so we need regulations. Well, that immediately says that some people are going to decide how those regulations are enforced and all your skepticism about the average Alex Jones of the world, needs to apply to anyone who's going to be calling the regulatory shots. Larkin Rose likes to say, that's literally as dumb as saying, uh, I don't trust you to be my neighbor, but I trust you to be my master. If you're so skeptical about the average person having access to making whatever videos they want, well, someone like that person or someone as evil as them or as ignorant as them can also get into office and then people won't have an out. So you're saying it's dangerous that we can voluntarily associate with people who are potentially dangerous. Therefore, we have to be forced to associate with people who are more potentially dangerous. There's no good arguments for it. Again, it's just propaganda that they uh, mindlessly repeat. Yeah. Well, one one of the things I said the other day was if you're going to force, if you want to force, um, people that want to purchase guns to take a mental health examination to make sure that they are stable enough to own a gun before then but you don't force the person in charge of bombing campaigns in foreign countries to take a mental health examination there's something wrong with you there's nothing wrong with me you know well and and the argument is more or less circular who uh who verifies the mental health expert who verifies them either you can have a system it's not like well under one system there's you know ways to verify people and to make sure that things are good and then another system there's just none of that there's reliability and then there's no reliability false dilemma that literally cannot exist anyone who understands praxeology knows that cannot exist the two systems you have are uh competing credentials and monopoly credentials. So coercively funded monopoly versus competing voluntarily funded organizations competing for legitimacy. So let's just take medicine, for example. Um, it's, It's easier than the gun control one. So if you say, well, I just don't trust people to really put out the bad stuff. Well, what you could have are stamp of approval agencies like you have Underwriters Laboratory, the Good Housekeeping Magazine, um, this uh, th- some voluntary form of USDA, um, those uh, or, or like you have with baseball cards that uh, companies will actually put their stamp of approval. This is a legitimate card. This is a legitimate autograph. Uh, you can have um, you know printers that have brand names and say, this has the Epson or the HP stamp of approval. We stand by this product. That's what the FDA does. So it's not, there's 
uh, one uh, one system has standards and the other has no standards. There's voluntary competing standards or coercive monopoly standards. Once you put it uh, in that frame, once you change that sort of dialogue, then it's just a matter of time before the uh, cult of statism just loses. It doesn't mean you've changed that person's mind. It means you've drastically increased the amount of insecurity they have in their position and they're less likely to passionately feel it, less likely to promote it because they will look bad if someone brings up that blatantly obvious contradiction. Who regulates the regulators? Who watches the watchers? The only justified system, whether morally or economically, would be voluntarily free association, free disassociation, competing agencies, not a coercively funded monopoly, because they never defend why this group has different rights than everyone else. It's literally like saying, well, Amazon should have the right to uh, make laws that we all have to follow, okay, just for not obeying Amazon, and take 40% of our income uh, so long as we get to vote for the Amazon CEO once every four years. It's that ridiculous. Because then anyone could do what government does, so long as they claim to have votes that they claim to have counted. It's all ridiculous nonsense. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So you must have, I, I, I'm i going to guess, uh, judging by what, what you just said, plus I've listened to your show quite a few times over the years, and uh, you must have kind of been like me whenever you saw the conservatives turning on the police going, finally. Finally, finally, you're seeing the flaws in the in this institution that is, is put there to oppress you <laughs> and to exactly. to choke out your rights. Uh, do you think uh, that is going to be sustainable? Um, I, I I certainly hope so. And what I say to conservatives is, though, are are you one of those anti-police people? I say, no, not necessarily. I just don't have any double standards for the police than I'd have for any other group. So if it's wrong for me to do and government gets its rights from me or the people and the people don't have the right to do it, well, then they can't delegate that right to the government to have it. If I don't have a Ferrari, I can't give it to you. If I don't have the right to issue taxes, we collectively cannot give that to Justin Amash. I can't think of a single congressman. We can't uh, give it to AOC to uh, issue taxes on our behalf. All it is is some people ruling over others. So when the question comes about the police, um, well, uh, isn't it okay to stop a murderer or a rapist or a thief? And I go, uh, yes, uh, I wish they would have when all that was happening during the BLM and Antifa riots. But those are justified. Notice how that they'll say, isn't it okay to justify them? They won't say, isn't it okay for only the police to have a coercively funded monopoly on stopping these people because it's what they're promoting and what they're saying is where that disconnect is. So yeah, it's okay to stop a murderer and a rapist. It's okay for me to do it or you or a group of us together, or if we put on uniforms and train to do this, which you would have as people who specialize in uh, providing uh, protection services for people uh, and their justly acquired property. That is the obvious solution to any of this or people owning their own guns or knives or alarm systems or cameras or I don't know, maybe a trap or some scaring device. I've seen I've seen some hilarious videos on, uh, you know, uh, someone uh, uh, 
a uh, porch pirate is walking up to steal an Amazon package. Mm. And they just have this little recording sound that just like lights can be triggered by motion. The motion is triggered and it says, Hey, you're not stealing my package, are you? And then the person runs away <laughs> and it's just a voice recording that uh, is motion censored. I mean, great, uh, great things like that are much better at protecting property than a mass murdering government stealing $5 trillion a year, provoking enemies uh, overseas based on uh, attacks based on lies. Right. Well, and then it, it goes back to what you were saying about uh, the most corrupt, you know, the psychopathic people being attracted to government because of the amount of power with qualified immunity, you're getting really, uh, the the type of people who want to wield power over the citizenry and who are more likely to be abusive you can see this in the statistics of how many police are beating their wives you know it's like something like 40 percent of police officers are are abusive to their wives and their children so when you're having those types that mentality even if it is only 40 percent, let's say the other 60 percent are pretty decent human beings take away the fact that they are not turning in the 40 percent that are abusing their power right but you cannot have an institution with qualified immunity sending psychopaths out on the street to abuse the citizenry i don't care if it's 5% of the of them are psychopaths, 40% or 100% of them. You, there needs to be something done about this institution. And, you know, you would be like me. It needs to be done privately. People need to have the option to fire the police or security force in their area if they are not doing and operating in a business-like manner, you know, and not protecting their, their, Pete says it all the time, their job is not to protect the citizenry. It's to enforce the laws handed down by dictate by politicians, right? So the same psychotic politicians that are chasing power are, are shooting down these edicts that these people are just blindly following. And it's causing, you know, the largest prison population ever in the history of the world right here in the freest country in the world. And it's insane. Yeah. And uh, it, it's, it, it's certainly uh, something to see where, um, you can get an officer to think that they are justified in doing something. One, because it's their job. So th that's usually their go-to is that, that they're getting paid to do it or they were hired, which uh, I mean, I just, I, I love asking them this. I'll always say, so if someone was hired to sell drugs or they were hired to kill someone, the, both of those being law-breaking, of course, one being uh, immoral, the other being more or less neutral. Would you ever accept that? I was hired to race this guy. That's why I was speeding. I was hired to assault this woman by her ex-boyfriend. Would you? No. And that's why I laugh whenever one of you guys says it to me. And then they will move the goalpost and say, well, it's law. I'd say, well, first of all, you just move the goalpost realize your initial justification for why you're doing things was unfounded. So mm -hmm. let's meet this second justification with a little more humility. And essentially, uh, you just get to which law? I mean, th there's a great book uh, by David Friedman called Legal Systems Very Different from Ours. And it discusses Chinese law, Amish law, Romanian law, uh, pirate law. And, and you see all these different competing legal systems. Whereas if you think there was just the law, one uniform way of doing all things that's justified. 
well, then you could uh, then you could easily think you're enforcing the laws if there's only one. But why out of all these are you enforcing this one? Well, uh, this group of people called government told me to. And then I just asked them what I was asked when I was, I don't know, three. Well, if government told you to jump off a bridge, would you do it? Well, in certain in circumstances, I almost hope they would rather than arrest me or write me a fake ticket as they would. But they literally say that group of people told me to. It's a fancy way of saying that, well, that's the law, as if that justifies anything. Well, then you can never go to another country and you know overthrow a dictator because it's just the law. Slavery right. is not right or wrong. Sometimes it's legal. Sometimes it isn't. In some places, it's legal. In some place, it isn't. If I murder someone in the middle of the Pacific Ocean where there are, quote, no laws, or I don't know if there are maritime laws, if, if that's enforced, well, then does that make it morally justified? Using their own justifications, they can't consistently defend their position. That's why I'm uh, more or less optimistic long term. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's a good place to stop too, man. We got a couple of white pills in here. I think people needed them in this environment, man. It's sometimes it's hard to stay optimistic and you know, talking to people like you, I, anytime I'm really feeling down, I get a hold of Sherry voluntary and have her come on the show. She always makes me laugh. You know, so um, I think that's a great place to stop. Let's plug whatever you got to plug, man. I uh, ask people, uh, I know YouTube is easy. So if people could follow me there, I of course appreciate it please more than anything else uh subscribe to me on odyssey.com i'm also on spotify i'm on the podcatchers i'm on the libertarian institute feed which i'm sure uh, most of your audience is familiar with and maybe they just get me there i ask that people sub to me on odyssey because if my youtube channel gets taken down they just took down one of uh, tom woods's videos the other day and i commented i'm like dude sync up to odyssey man just as a backup because yeah. it's going to be so discouraging yeah. uh when uh, you lose a, a large portion of your fan base like i mean like Molyneux did he now gets like 150th of the views that uh he got uh, when, when he was on youtube oh, wow. and you know it's it, it's it's more the fault of people who just won't take a minute to create an account and subscribe there than yeah. it is, you know, the politicians or anything else. So I just ask people to, I, I don't even ask for donations. I leave my PayPal for those who are inclined to donate and right. want to encourage me to do it. But more than anything else, if I just had a solid number of people subbing to me on Odyssey, uh, Keith and I don't try it on anyone, that would uh, be more of an incentive to uh, keep putting out content. All right, I'll make sure I'll put that in the show notes so people can find your Odyssey link. So, well, hey, appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Yeah, man, I appreciate you coming on. That was a quick hour. I was like, wow, I look up. Just a slave. All your good intentions took you to your grave. Your pride is how they killed you. With the flag you wave, just like a fool. They promised you a mountain, gifted you a stone. They demanded that you throw it into your neighbor's home and then seize all that they worked for. 
and give it to the throne just like a tool. Well, as we all just stand in line and glorify new ways of being cruel. Seems to me humanity is not something that they're teaching us in school. They dumbs down all around propaganda, their pollution. They set a cage up on the stage, a facade for a solution. They build a wall, block them all from this mental institution. It's insane. These crimes done in our names Seems to me authority and tyranny Are both one and the same Till our right to freedom is understood.